last week, if you were unable to be a part of our time together, uh, perhaps you uh, missed this slide, if you didn't uh, catch up later on in the week. Uh, this is where we ended last week, and I won't certainly go back through all of this, but we looked at Acts chapter 19, and we saw how from Ephesus that all the residents of Asia, a big part of what we know now of Turkey, uh, heard the word of the Lord, and how incredible it was. As we think about Akron, Ohio, about 200,000 people here, uh, I made the, the point that uh, if, if we were to reach 2,000 people for Jesus, as not just Gospel Memorial Church, but the Church of Akron, uh, we would need to share the gospel about 100,000 times to do that with a 2% uh, rate of receptivity. That means that we would have to uh, train approximately 100 laborers a year to share the gospel a few times a week for seven years in order to do that. Now that's just some vision. That's just uh, some practical outworking of what it means to be sharing the gospel all throughout this series of God's plan and God's people. Uh, we've seen that it is God's desire to fill the earth with his glory. And 2 Corinthians 5 shows us no less than that. Uh, I want to uh, get into a couple things that, that lead to that and further uh, bring to light these truths that we've been hearing in this series. But we can't get into the doing without being anchored in the relationship. And there's such exciting things in here. I want you to consider uh, your relationship with Jesus. You may be here today and uh, literally you have been a believer in Jesus Christ for decades. Anybody? Uh, been a believer for decades. All right, some of you have been a believer for less than five years, <laughs> right? A couple of us. Yeah, absolutely. And we praise the Lord for that. And then there's everybody in between. For me, this is my 30 year anniversary of being born. No. Uh, born again. <laughs> uh, this is my 30-year anniversary of being a believer. And so uh, for me, this is one of those years where I, I stop and reflect in what, in what God has done. But I want us to think about what, these, what this relationship is. And if you're uh, here today or you're listening and you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, I hope that it will be very clear in what we expose from 2 Corinthians 5. This is a great passage uh, to get to. All right? it, it just says we're new. All right? In the most innovative outline ever, it's right here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So fact number one about our relationship is that we are new. I want to show you something from prophecy. Ezekiel 36. This is a prophecy that God gave to Ezekiel regarding the future of Israel. And in there, there is newness. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. All these things were going to happen. Newness, newness of life was going to happen in the future. That was prophesied through Ezekiel to the Israelites. And when Jesus encountered Nicodemus, he talked about being reborn, and Nicodemus couldn't figure it out. <laughs> what do you mean I have to go back in my mother's womb and be born again? No, what is that about? I don't understand. And Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, a little foreshadowing of baptism, the Holy Spirit's work of regenerating us, making us new, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. All right, so over and over in Scripture, we see this type of language that when God is doing a work in us, we are made into something completely new. Catch the language. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That has nothing to do with your age. If you're 70 years old and you find a relationship, you, you enter in by faith a relationship, the promises of God with Jesus Christ, the old has passed away. You are something brand new at 70 years old. At seven years old, it's the same truth. What you were is what you were, and what you are in Christ is something so completely different and amazing. We are new creation. What diminishes this? What, what, why, why sometimes do we feel like we, we don't get this, this beautiful reality that we're something that we weren't before? A couple ideas just to challenge you as you think about this. Sometimes incomplete evangelism, right? If our whole goal is to get somebody to raise their hand and say, I don't want to go to hell, I really just want to go to heaven, that's not, that's not the full message of the gospel. Right, we're going to talk about that. We're going to see more in 2 Corinthians 5 today. Um, the lack of accountability sometimes. Uh, we, we just go back to sort of doing our own thing and we, we say, hey, I, I, and mentally I agreed to that. Uh, sometimes it's just sin. Sometimes we're just grieving the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, we quench him by our actions and his presence is not strong in us. So, so grasp this language of newness. In the New Testament, another strong word that Paul uses is freedom. Uh, know that these are the desires God has when he does the work of saving us from our sins. That we are not the same as we were. That something brand new is happening in us. And we don't want anything to quench that. We're a new creation. Now, second, the reconciliation is God's move. Now, uh, it's a relationship that needs to be reconciled because we are in sin. We're going to talk about that uh, in, in a little bit. But I want you to understand the reconciliation is that we are in sin and God is perfect. And so that has to be reconciled. We're not perfect and he is. So there has to be a way in order to uh, have a relationship with him. And you might begin to wonder, how does that happen? Well, I want you to think back, uh, perhaps if you're older, you might think back to the first person that you took an interest in of the opposite sex. You might think of somebody in junior high and you were, uh, you're at the dance, in this, which is the most like, awkward place ever on earth, is the junior high dance. And you're there, and you're like, what do I do? Do I go and do I ask this uh, girl or this guy to dance with me? And do I send my friend? What's going to happen? Are they going to notice that my zit just popped this morning, and I have this awkwardness, and it's just really weird? And so you kind of sit there, and you wonder, who's going to make the first move? What do I do? And sometimes we wonder this about God. And humans will start to answer this question in all these confusing and unhelpful ways. I want to be helpful to you this morning and show you that we often want to make the first move. We want to try to do something to clarify our relationship with God. We know that uh, we've hurt people. We know that we've done bad things. We know the reality of our sin. We know the darkness of things that have happened to us and we don't know how to process it. And we need help and hope and healing. And we want to do something about it. 
Well, think of places in our world where doing something gets good attention, okay? After this week, uh, pretty much all children in Summit County will be back to school in some way, shape, or form. Working hard and performing well in academics gets mentioned. How about your workplace? So you get a promotion or you get a raise. Hey, you've done well. Or even in the home, working hard and doing the chores makes mom and dad happy. Right, kids? Yeah. Okay, see a few heads nodding. Parents and children. (laughs) But to, to think that merit wins the day in our spiritual relationship can be very destructive. I'm not against hard work. But I am against trying to perform in order to get God to like us. What we're taught in 2 Corinthians that establishing a relationship with God, the reconciliation, it's God's move. All this, verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In that sentence, us is a direct object, meaning that God is the one who is doing the activity in the sentence, and we are the direct object. Sorry, school is starting. All right, you're going to have to think about direct objects and sentences and all this sort of thing. Sorry, kids, it's going to happen. Here we go. But here it's so important. It's so serious. He is the one who has done the reconciling through Christ. He's reconciled us to himself. It does not say we, by our work, have performed well enough to reconcile ourselves to God. It does not say that. It says the other way around, the reconciliation in that relationship, beginning it. It is God's move first. What happens? Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their trespasses against them. God forgives our sin. It is a relationship essential. Sometimes you'll talk to somebody and they will mentally agree that there is a God or that they've done something wrong or that maybe they would even say, um, I, think, I think maybe Jesus came and he died for this. We're not, I'm not trying to get you to check off a box. What I want today is for all of us, no matter how long we've been a believer, to, to go to that place in our mind where we understand that our sin is horrible. The consequences of it are unimaginable. And depending on the type of sin and the type of consequence that that maybe we've hurt others by sinning or we've hurt ourselves, we feel that consequence in different ways. And maybe even today, right this moment, it's it's before you in a different way than it has been. I don't know what situation you're in or, or exactly what I'm speaking to this morning. But we can't make any progress in our relationship with God until we, until we see and understand how horrible our sin is. We can't take it lightly. We can't just try to find somebody who's worse than us so we can feel better about ourselves. We're all in, in a terrible strait and unable to save ourselves. 
But what this tells us is that God, because he made the move, he does the reconciling, he saves us. When we would do anything to save ourselves, he comes our way and says, no, it's only by Jesus. It's only by his blood, the perfect offering that you can be saved. Verse 21, for our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. The only way for you and for me to be saved is that somebody who is perfect, that's Jesus, God and human at the same time in the same person is, has perfection. To, he's the only one who could make the offering. If we brought the offering, it would be imperfect because we're in sin. Jesus was in, in sin, and so God temporarily made him to be sin in our place. He knew no sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. That means that we have a relationship with him. And not because of us. Because of Jesus be a great place for an amen <laughs> it's glorious i hope you're energized just hearing about it even if you're a believer for a long time i hope it stirs your heart to worship you can't save yourself if you're brand new if you don't know this if you haven't heard this before know that you can't save yourself god made the move your sin is terrible and the only way to to have a relationship is to trust in jesus He doesn't hand us a shovel and say, start digging. He shows up on the scene with an excavator and does the work. All I'm doing is laying out what Paul wanted these Corinthians to know. All throughout these first few chapters, if you get a chance, go back and read from the beginning of this letter to where we are in 2 Corinthians 5. You'll see things about the power of the word of God. You'll see things about comfort Knowing that sin and its fallout can be horrible and difficult when we need comfort. And it's going to be hard to reconcile sin sometimes. But we see comfort and we see in chapter 4 we see light and we see eternity and we see brokenness. And we see God working in all of it. And it's just amazing. Now you might think I'm being a little unfair to this text. You say, hey, you've left out some things. Of course I have. That's the second part of the message. We're getting there. Here we go. God's plan. For God's people is to save us. That's our identity. We're reconciled into a relationship with Jesus. But that's not the end. We don't just enjoy that relationship and go on about our lives and do whatever we want. No, he gives us, he gives us a, a, a role in all of this. He wants us to join in the mission of taking light and good news of who Jesus is to other people. He's not just going to show up in people's mirrors or in their dreams and, and tell them all about this so they can respond. He wants us to be a part of that. So I want you to see that here as we see this part of God's plan. It says right here, verse 19, after not counting their trespasses against them, what? It says, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He entrusts us with a message. I love to see people begin to understand Jesus and come to faith in Christ. I hope God will give all of us more and more of a hunger to see that in our uh, city, in our county, in our communities, our lives, our schools, our workplaces, our families. Love to see that relationship happen, but we also get a role in it. And so he entrusts us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And then verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through 
us. Now, I believe God does a lot of things uh, to waken people up to his purposes or plan in, in their lives. Um, he can uh, bring an illness or a tragedy or a situation, and sometimes people respond to those, and they realize they're not in control, and, and God uses it. But he, he still, if you go over and consult Romans chapter 10, there's still the, the feet of the people who bring the good news. And you can't understand the gospel until somebody uh, confirms it to you and, pre and preaches it to you so you can hear it. And so, so we want people to go and to share. And Paul uses this word here in, in this passage, ambassadors. Now, uh, I don't know if you know much about ambassadors. Sorry, kids. It's going to feel like school again for a minute. Let's go to history class. Who knows? The famous American diplomat who went to France and Great Britain during and immediately after the Revolutionary War to represent the interests. Go ahead. Franklin and? There's two who went. John Adams. Correct. I'll give you a sticker after class. No, I'm kidding. I don't have any stickers. <laughs> I'll get you next week. Good job. All right, so John Adams, think about this. <laughs> Just after the Revolutionary War had ended is before the king of Britain regarding America's victory and what the future between the two countries would look like. Anybody else sitting here thinking to themselves, awkward. Right? Our country just defeated your country, and now I'm here in front of you, and let's have a conversation about how that's going to look. Sometimes that's the kind of thing that happens in international diplomacy. An ambassador has to go and do uncomfortable things. The language here is similar. The ambassador, this word, it, it is a person who represents the interests of the kingdom of heaven. That's how it's used in this context. So who is that? Is it just famous people like John Adams? Is it, is, are the ambassadors just famous Christians like the Apostle Paul? No. Over and over he says us. He's writing to the Corinthians, and so he's bringing them as fellow believers into these truths. It's not just Paul and a couple of traveling companions that he has. We get to act as ambassadors would you have the nerve to risk going into the king who lost the war as a representative of the government that defeated him? Would you have the nerve to do that? Now, let's make that spiritual. God wants us, he's entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. He wants us to be an ambassador. Do you think sometimes in sharing Jesus with people, it might lead us into uncomfortable situations? Yes. What comfort to us that this language is here in the scriptures and that illustration comes to life. Yes. You think I'm going to be super comfortable in ministering to Muslims who are refugees in Athens, Greece and talking to them about Jesus who is the true salvation? Whoa. It's not comfortable. It's a little bit awkward to go into those conversations, but it's exactly what God wants us to do. Well, as I've told you, we have a lot of different training opportunities that come about. Uh, please continue to pay attention for them. 
Uh, we'll have a one-day opportunity uh, this fall, we hope. Uh, we're getting ready to launch some groups uh, this week, uh, small groups. So those of you that have responded and say, I want to be in a small group, we're going to get those set up and off the ground in just the next week or so. So be uh, looking for that. But one of the things that you'll learn in the training is this. I'm going to have my lovely wife, Julie. Uh, she has been a part of our group this summer uh, uh, who has gone through this. And uh, this is one of the key things that uh, we learn at the very beginning of training is identity. And it's actually from these verses that we've been studying today. So make sure you pull your mask down so we can understand you. Well, good morning. So, yeah, this simple illustration just helped us in our very first training to understand the why. Why are we making disciples and why are we training? Because of the verses that Kevin has already talked about, uh, and because of Christ, we are a new creation. Our identity is in him. And because of that, we're his ambassadors. And that's in every aspect of our life. Um, we just had a little thing we wrote down. We can't be a new creation without being an ambassador. And we, you can't be an ambassador without being a new creation. So it just it goes hand in hand. We represent Christ in all that we do. So... As Julie said, we are new, we are ambassadors, and we are not one without the other. If somebody just came to Christ as a brand new believer, if that's you and you're, you're considering, hey, I need to make that commitment, I need to become a Christian uh, today even, I would tell you that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 are for you. You are reconciled, all right? you're a new creation, but you are also an ambassador and you're not one without the other. What a powerful identity uh, that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to close uh, our time in prayer and invite the worship team to come on up and to be ready to lead us as we pray. I want to pray uh, where you need reconciling in your life. Uh, perhaps it's to become a believer right now. You've never trusted Christ uh, first for the relationship, uh, for the forgiveness of your sin, uh, trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone. Uh, perhaps you've been a believer and you have some reconciling to do. God is stirring you up today about sin and compelling you to confess it and ask for forgiveness. Perhaps God is challenging you as well. Maybe the role has been much more relational and much less ambassador or much more ambassador and much less relational. We want balance in those things that if we have a relationship with God, we should be serving by taking that message of reconciliation to others. So I challenge you, pray for somebody that you know that needs to be reconciled to God. Pray for that person, even while we're closing today. Pray for them by name and commit to be the good, uh, the person who has beautiful feet, who brings the good news to that person. It's a great way, a great tangible way uh, to put this into practice as we close.